morning. It's a privilege to be gathered together on God's day with God's people studying God's word. All right. And so this morning, uh, if, whether you knew it or not, maybe you saw the banner out there by the front door, this is actually part of our Prophecies of Hope seminar. So welcome to Prophecies of Hope, session number 11. How many of you, uh, this may be a, uh, an indictment of sorts, how many of you, this is your first time attending the Prophecies of Hope seminar, amen. All right, welcome to the first timers. If you would like, I have a gift for you in the back. No, I'm kidding. Anyways, <laughs> happy Sabbath though. Um, yeah, the Prophecy Seminar has been a blessing, amen. For me, um, even though it has been a, a stretch of sorts upon my uh, normal responsibilities, I've been loving it. I've been loving to see uh, just new things in God's Word, and anytime we open God's Word, it's always a new experience. And so I want to make sure that everybody has a presentation outline. They were actually included in your church bulletin. So you may have to share if you only grabbed one for your family. Um, I'm not quite sure if we have any extras, actually. But we're actually going to the inside of that insert. Um, it looks kind of like the outside, but at the top it should say, The Work of the Holy Spirit in Your Life number 11. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life, number 11. So, let's just make sure we are all good to go here. All right. Okay. By the way, if you're catching up with the Prophecy Series, you want to hear the recordings or even see video of them, uh, you can go to this website here, prophecyofhope.wordpress.com. And you can see both audio, or you can hear the audio, listen uh, there. Uh, you can see also the video. Um, you can actually download each of the presentation outlines from that site too. So there it is. It's, it's also printed on the back of your handout. But as we've been going night by night, I think uh, several of us can attest to the fact that God's word has had an, a transforming impact in our lives. And the reality is that when we open God's word, it's because God himself is at work in our lives. Today we want to study the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and I don't know about you, but the, the work of the Holy Spirit has sometimes been clouded or shrouded in some mystery. Um, sometimes it's been clouded in mystery because we've just neglected the idea or the concept of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's because it's been confused. It's been skewed. I remember uh, back in my, in my uh, days when I really consumed a lot of popular media, and I, I remember watching one movie. Um, there was an individual who was just kind of sitting in a, in a train station. He was working on some project on his computer. He was trying to figure something out, and all of a sudden, it, it, uh, everything just kind of opened up for him. Everything just kind of resolved itself, and here he was in this crowded place in his own little world, just kind of working on his computer, and he yells out and says, Woohoo! People start looking around at him, and, and uh, he says, I got the Holy Spirit! I got the Holy Spirit! That's just kind of a justification for his outburst. And sometimes we think to ourselves, okay, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Is it just an ecstatic experience in which we see something just uh, emotionally enthralling? Or, or is there something more? Is there something more? I'm going to read the opening paragraph there in your handout, and you can follow along. It says this, In a future presentation, we will discover that the second beast of Revelation 13 will, at the end of time, serve as a counterfeit what? A counterfeit Holy Spirit. Ooh. We've talked about this in our seminar. We saw that the first beast of Revelation 13 was actually serving as a counterfeit Christ, an antichrist, but here, the second beast serves as a counterfeit Holy Spirit. We'll look at that in a future presentation. By leading people to the counterfeit Christ. It is no wonder that the Bible speaks of the third person of the Godhead as the Holy Spirit, implying that there are other spirits at work in the world around us. Did you catch that implication? It's not just that there is one spirit, but that God is specifically saying there's the Holy Spirit, and the implication is that maybe there are unholy spirits at work in the world around us. In this light, it is of critical importance to, that we take seriously the real Holy Spirit and individually embrace the powerful work of the third person of the Godhead. Are you following this, yes or no? The Bible is full of descriptions and promises of the work of the Holy Spirit, and why would we ignore those things, right? So we want to dig into this. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? And maybe we should start with this question. Who? Who is the Holy Spirit? 
Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you know how Genesis 1, 1 starts, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, here in verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So even before human life and the human experience begins, the Spirit of God is present and active. Notice, what is the particular action that the Holy Spirit is described as doing? Did you see it? The Spirit of God was hovering, hovering. What is this idea of hovering? Is it just an impersonal force? Is it just kind of this electricity that moves back and forth? Or what is it really? Actually, there's two other times where you hear this verb appear, this, this hovering appear. And one of them is in Deuteronomy chapter 32. You have it there in your handout as a cross-reference. But here in Deuteronomy 32, notice, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. It's a description of God himself, and he's comparing his activity for Israel to an eagle that hovers over its nest. In other words, when, Deut- excuse me, when Genesis chapter 1 is describing the Spirit of God hovering, the picture that we're supposed to put in our minds is not one of an impersonal it, but a very personal God. Just like a mother eagle who hovers over her young, so the Spirit of God is a personal and intimate being. Do you follow that, yes or no? And so let's fill this in in our handout. In the creation account, the biblical language gives us a picture of the Holy Spirit that is personal and intimate. Personal and intimate. God was there through His Holy Spirit, hovering, waiting for the possibility of life to begin. Just as an eagle cares for its young, God wants to be personally intimate with us. And that second bullet, we'll fill it in right now, active, the Holy Spirit that is active in both an invisible and a visible way. You can fill that one in. Both invisible and a visible way. Let's go to John chapter 3. I don't think we have this on the screen, so let's look this up. John chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Hope you're okay with this. We're going to flip through the Bible a lot today. In John, chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He's speaking to a a person who has much religious or scriptural knowledge. Nicodemus, however, has questions for Jesus. Apparently, Nicodemus' understanding of spiritual things in the kingdom of God is inadequate. And Jesus is trying to help him out. And in John chapter 3, verse 8, is everybody there? Yes or no? All right. John chapter 3, verse... Actually, let's start in verse 5. Let's start in verse 5. The Bible says, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the who? And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Apparently, the Holy Spirit's work in your life is so necessary that without it, you and I cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this this behooves us to understand. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's a rebirth that takes place. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the working of the Holy Spirit in your life is compared to what, according to verse 8? According to the wind. Yeah, it's compared to the wind. Wind is invisible, but it has very visible effects. Has very visible effects. So in our handout, let's fill this in next to John 3, 8. According to Jesus, this visible and invisible activity of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to one's experience of salvation, to one's experience of salvation, and to one's entrance into God's kingdom. So the work of the Holy Spirit is not just an option. Uh, The work of the Holy Spirit is not just something that, oh yeah, I'll get around to it when I have time. But the work of the Holy Spirit is integral, it's central, it's part of your experience and mine of salvation. So, 
let's take a look at the visible and invisible dynamics of the work of the Holy Spirit. So this first part of the study, as we start moving forward, we're going to take a look what the Holy Spirit does, part one. This is the invisible, the invisible, the intangible, the things that we cannot necessarily uh, mark with uh, concrete or external signs. This is the invisible dynamic. So let's go uh, to 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we have it here on the screen actually. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. As Peter is making a case for the reliability of Scripture, he says this in verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by who? The Holy Spirit. In other words, this book, filled with prophecy, filled with prophetic messages, it didn't come about by the will of man. Daniel the prophet didn't just sit himself down one day and said, you know what, I want my name in the Bible, and so I'm going to write a prophecy. No, that's not how it worked, right? It was holy men of God who were moved or inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when we look at the books that are included in the Bible, these sacred writings, these are not just the writings of mere men. This is the creative work of the Holy Spirit. So there in the handout, it says the Holy Spirit essentially authored. You can fill that in. The Holy Spirit essentially authored the scriptures. And what are these scriptures testifying about? But the scriptures that testify of Jesus. You remember this verse in John chapter 5, verse 39? John 5, verse 39, he's speaking to the, uh, the Pharisees. Jesus says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Jesus is speaking to religious leaders who are, who are not placing their trust in Jesus, who are doubting and skeptical about who Jesus is, and Jesus is kind of rebuking them. He says, look, you study the scriptures, you think that in those you have eternal life, but really, all of those scriptures are pointing to me, and you're missing the point. So Jesus says, look, those scriptures, the real intent is to testify of Jesus. So as the Holy Spirit is moving upon men throughout history to write what we have today as the Bible, the Holy Spirit is essentially giving us messages that would testify of Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is not to point to himself. The work of the Holy Spirit is to point to, to Jesus. And this is a beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John is in the New Testament. We've already looked there. John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right. John chapter 14, verse 26. The Bible says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So according to this passage, the Holy Spirit is a teacher. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. Go to chapter 16, just a couple pages over. John chapter 16, verse 13. What does the Holy Spirit really teach us or lead us into? John 16, verse 13, the Bible says, However, when he, the Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit, you can fill this in. Similarly, the Holy Spirit is a teacher who guides people into all truth. So, not only is the Holy Spirit the author of this truth, but he's the one who instructs in the truth. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that takes place on a somewhat invisible level, an intangible level. We're still in John chapter 16, but let's take a look at another work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, just a few verses earlier. The Bible says, When he has come, speaking of the Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Very interesting language that Jesus is talking about. Jesus here in John 14 through 16, this is kind of a farewell discourse. We've spent some time studying this in the past, but Jesus is giving the disciples some, some last-minute instruction, famous last words, so to speak, a farewell discourse. And something that keeps repeating off of his lips here is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
because he knows that when he departs, there may be a sense of abandonment among his followers, but Jesus wants to make sure that just because he's leaving doesn't mean his work is ending. But it's because he is leaving that the Holy Spirit can get to work in our lives. And so notice the work that he's talking about. In John 16, verse 8, it says, When he has come, he will do what? He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Notice those three things. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Verse 9, of sin because they do not believe in me. Apparently, the primary sin is not trusting in Jesus. Verse 10, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. When Jesus left, he went to the heavenly sanctuary and he was ministering to us his righteousness. Verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit wants to remind us that judgment is coming. And remember, we've talked about this last week, judgment is good news. Because it's God's way of delivering us from sin. And this judgment also declares an end to the one who began sin. Verse 11, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This is very interesting. The reason why I have this picture of the sanctuary or the earthly tabernacle that was set up in the, in the wilderness there is because I want us to realize that here at the door, this is where, this is where uh, worshipers would come in. And then what would they first encounter? They would go to the courtyard. They would first encounter the altar of sacrifice. You remember this? And then beyond the altar of sacrifice, there was the laver, and then there was the holy place and the most holy place, right? And it was in the most holy place that there was something very special called the Ark of the Covenant. This was a symbol of God's throne. This is where God's presence was known to be dwelling. And so very interesting, from entrance to the throne, there were certain things that stood between us and oneness with God. And all of those things that stood between us and oneness of God, those things represented the ministry through which Christ was going to restore oneness with God. At the altar, he would take care of the penalty of sin. In the holy place, he would minister his righteousness to us and deliver us from the power of sin. And then finally, in the most holy place, he would perform the work of judgment and cleanse the world of the presence of sin. And this is, these are the very same things that John 16, 8 is describing as the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit is leading us, convicting us of sin in the courtyard, of righteousness in the holy place, and of judgment in the most holy place. In other words, the Holy Spirit is leading us to oneness with God. Powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can you thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit? Anyway, so here, fill in the handout. The Spirit convicts us of our own sin, of Christ's offered righteousness, and of Satan's final judgment with the intent of leading us to oneness with God. Beautiful work. Beautiful work. One that we cannot neglect. And this is why it's so essential, because he's leading us to oneness with God. How about Ephesians? Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. If you're in the book of John, Ephesians is to the right. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. So you're going from John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then you've got little letters that start with G-E-P-C. Go eat popcorn, or General Electric Power Company. This is how I remember those things. Ephesians chapter 1. Notice in verse 13 and 14, another dynamic of the invisible ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. Verse 13. If you're there, say amen. I want to make sure. Uh, Not just what I said, but what we've read. Okay, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 13. In him, speaking of Jesus, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the what? The Holy Spirit of promise. I'm reading from the New King James, so maybe your translation puts it a little bit differently. But here the Bible is talking about having believed in Jesus, an immediate effect of that is the Holy Spirit now seals us. Very interesting. Seals us, the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee. That's what my Bible says. Does your Bible put it different in verse 14? Maybe yours says the down payment or deposit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, Uh, what is Paul really talking about? Sometimes Paul uses some words that are just kind of out of our vocabulary. What is he really getting at? 
Paul is saying that when you believe, you are given this gift of the Holy Spirit that seals your heart for eternity. And the Holy Spirit actually is a guarantee, according to verse 14. A guarantee of what? A guarantee of our eternal inheritance. Now, what does that mean? A guarantee, a deposit, a down payment. When you purchase something large, whether it's a car, whether it's a home, or maybe you're just a I used to go to bowling alleys where, you know, I would want to rent some uh, bowling shoes, and so I would have to give them some collateral, right? I would either have to leave one of my shoes behind, or I'd have to leave my driver's license behind, or something like that. Why? Because it was a deposit. It was saying, hey, the rest is coming back later. Well, when, when we give a down payment for a house, we're giving a, a little bit of a, a portion now because the rest is coming later. And so when Paul says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit— or a guarantee of eternal life, Paul is saying, look, you're getting a taste of eternal life because now Jesus dwells in your heart through the Spirit. And the rest is coming later. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit's work is, is, it may be invisible, but it's absolutely essential. He seals us for his kingdom and says, look, the rest is coming later. Okay, so there you are in the handout. We can start filling that in. Once we come to believe in Christ... Once we come to believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit seals us and consequently secures us to Christ. There's a level of security there that sometimes we overlook. The Spirit serves as a guarantee of our eternal inheritance. We're going to the next page. Let's go to the next page. Another aspect of his invisible work. Let's take a look at John chapter 14. John 14, it's here on the screen. Notice how Jesus, again, this is in those chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, so much of which is describing the work of the Spirit. John 14, verse 17 and 18, the Spirit of truth dwells with you and will be where? In you. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Think about this. He's talking to the disciples who have become Jesus' best friends. Or maybe I should say it the other way, Jesus has become their best friend. And now upon hearing that Jesus is departing, Jesus is giving them the assurance that you're not going to be abandoned. Why? Because now the ministry of the Holy Spirit can take place in you. Of course, for those three and a half years, Jesus was dwelling with them, around them, next to them. But now Jesus is saying, through my spirit, I can dwell in you. So he's taking their relationship to another level. Notice 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 and 15. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Do you see that? The, the very real but internal and invisible work, there's an abiding taking place. Because he has given us of his spirit. And that's the avenue through which, that's the agent through which God can abide in us. It's through his spirit. Verse 15, here's the condition. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Did you notice how simple that is? <laughs> if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, if you confess that Jesus really is the one in whom all my hopes dwell, then sure enough, I can have the assurance that God's Spirit dwells in me. Praise the Lord. Praise, it's not like I have to uh, walk up these stairs 50 times on my knees in order to obtain the Holy Spirit. I just have to put trust in Jesus that he is who he says he is, the Savior of the world who convicts me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And sure enough, I can have the abiding presence of God. I will not be left as an orphan. I can be secured in his family. And go with me to Romans. Romans chapter 8. This is such a powerful promise. I want us to see this. Romans chapter 8. If you're in Ephesians, just go to the left. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16. Just as Jesus was declaring so often the work of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul could not neglect, could not ignore the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When you found Romans 8, 15, say amen. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Notice, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of what? of adoption. I'll read that again. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, 
Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I don't know how many of you have ever felt kicked to the curb, so to speak, when it comes to your relationship with God. Maybe you've felt the cloud of of guilt or shame or depression or challenge or trial or whatever that struggle may have been, and you've felt so disconnected with God that you've been dropped off the radar screen, so to speak. Friends, the Holy Spirit, it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he says, no, 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 you have not been excommunicated from the family of God. You are secured in adoption to the family of God. Is that good news or not? I I don't know. Maybe this is just kind of falling on. uh, Okay, (laughs) I'm not going to try to rile this up, but friends, the Spirit bears witness with our hearts. Even when our hearts condemn us, 1 John 3 says, even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Have you ever heard the accuser of the brethren, Satan, actually he, he plants those seeds of doubt and accusation in our own minds, and God is greater than that voice. And he says, no, I'm bearing witness that you still are a child of God. Though you are faithless, I, can, I am faithful. I cannot deny myself, he says. You are my child. I will not let you go. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit does. In the handout, we can fill this in. The Holy Spirit not only leads us to a relationship with Jesus, but also gives us the constant assurance of Jesus' abiding presence. So he leads us to a relationship with Jesus, and then he constantly assures us of his abiding presence and our adoption. So you can fill those two words in. Abiding presence and our adoption into his family as sons and daughters. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There is a family that surely we have been estranged from. Because of our sin and because of our rebellion, we did walk away from that family. Humanity went to the voting booth that was known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we chose to rebel against God. We chose to cut ourselves, to sever ourselves from the family of God. But God has made a way to be adopted back into the family. It's through the ministry of Christ. It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the next paragraph, it says this. It is clear from the Bible that the Holy Spirit is the active agent that essentially walks alongside individuals toward toward entering into and abiding in a saving faith relationship with Jesus. This is the invisible dimension of the personal and intimate work of the Holy Spirit. But what is the visible aspect of his work in our lives once we have come to Jesus? Okay, so just to kind of recap where we've been, we're looking at both the invisible and the visible work of the Spirit. This invisible work is essentially to author the scriptures, to lead us into a truth of the scriptures, and all of those scriptures testify of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is leading us to Jesus all the way along. He's convicting us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He's leading us to understand the ministry of Christ so we can be one with God. So So the Spirit is leading us to Jesus, and once we've come to have faith in Jesus, He adopts us into His family, He secures us, He seals your heart and mind. Praise the Lord for the work of the Holy Spirit. All this stuff takes place on an intangible, invisible level of faith. So, when this invisible work takes place, when the the wind blows, what effects are visible. What effects can we see? And first, we'll go to 2 Corinthians. Can you find 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a little bit to the right from the book of Romans. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to look at verse 18. For me, when I was in high school, this was one of those verses that really stood out in my mind because I needed to be changed. (laughs) I knew the depths of my own heart, and even though I looked good on the outside... There were things in my own heart and mind that I knew were not of the, in harmony with God's character. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, this is one promise that I took to the bank over and over again. When you're there in 2 Corinthians 3, say amen. All right, here it is. What does the Holy Spirit do visibly? But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being, what's the next word? transformed or changed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by who? The Spirit of the Lord. Paul is saying that when we behold the glory of the Lord, there's a change that takes place. 
Have you ever heard uh, that phrase, by beholding, we become changed? Or maybe another one, um, bad company corrupts good morals. Am I saying that right? (laughs) Anyways, uh, the idea is this. The more you spend time with someone or the more you spend time focusing on something, the more of its attributes you begin to reflect in your own life. Have you ever noticed that maybe you found this to be the case? My dad, he always told, when I was growing up, he always told the, the, I don't know, his humor was, I guess, the word that we used as our our siblings, we described it, Dad, you're so corny. Like, your your, your jokes just really don't make sense. It makes you laugh, but it really doesn't make us laugh. And so we just kind of chuckled amongst ourselves. We were laughing at Dad, not with Dad. (laughs) But what was funny is that in our minds, my brother and I said, we're not going to tell jokes like that when we're older. But what's interesting is that when we start hanging out with each other now, we tell the exact same things that my dad. This is true, right? I mean, this is just how when we spend time with individuals, we begin to reflect those attributes. But Paul is applying that to the spiritual realm. He says, beholding the glory of the Lord, you're being transformed into the same. And it's all by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, as we behold the glory of God, we become like God. Not in the sense of how Lucifer wanted to be like God in the sense of having his power, but we become like Jesus in the sense of his character. This is a beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit works out in our lives. So there it is in the handout. The Holy Spirit transforms our lives and works in us to cause us to walk in harmony with God's will and way. Another verse that I listed there, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. That's one you want to put to memory. That's one you want to put to memory. Read it to, uh, to your kids this afternoon. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new mind. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's the promise of God. And he does it by his Holy Spirit. Okay, what else does the Holy Spirit do? Let's find Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23. Maybe you already have this one stuck in your memory. Galatians chapter 5. So after 2 Corinthians is Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. When you're there, say amen. If you need some help, tap the friend next to you. Where's Galatians? It's after 2 Corinthians, General Electric Power Company. It's the G. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Notice what else is visible through the working of the Holy Spirit. It says this, But the fruit of the who? Ah, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, there will be fruit that is born in your life. That fruit manifests itself through love and joy and peace, etc., etc., John chapter 15, Jesus kind of takes this metaphor also. In John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is just a simple agricultural principle. You can't take an apple tree's branch, break it off, hold it over here, and expect that it will bear fruit for the rest of the season, right? It's got to abide in the life source. And Jesus is saying, look, you are just like branches. You abide in me. Stay connected to me and you will bear fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And this fruit is born through the active work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. It's the fruit of a Christ-like character. It's a fruit of a love that's like Christ, a joy that's like Christ, a patience that's like Christ. Friends, how many of us long for more love for that neighbor next door? You know? How many of us long for, for more joy in our relationships and more patience in our relationships? Friends, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life when you open up the heart, open up the life gate, open up the, the green light and say, Jesus, be at work in me, and the Holy Spirit does it. So there in the handout, the Holy Spirit works internally. The Holy Spirit works internally to bear the fruit, to bear the fruit of a Christ-like character externally, thus empowering us to reflect the image and character of God in our lives. 
So this is a, a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit actually makes us holy too. As the Spirit dwells in our hearts, our lives become changed. What else? What else? Uh, there, there's got to be more because the Bible just, just doesn't stop here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because it's not just that we become more like Christ, but that we do more like Christ. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So it's to the left of Galatians. You go to the left, you got 2 Corinthians and then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice verses 7 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're there, say, I'm there. Excellent. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. The Bible says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to just a few people in the church. Did, did I read that wrong? Maybe my translation is different. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given just to those who are on the platform at church. <laughs> okay, you know where I'm going with this, right? The Bible is very clear. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Amen. The Holy Spirit is not limited. The Holy Spirit can work in every single believer's life. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Well, all these kinds of things, all by the power or manifestation of the Spirit. Now notice verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, right? Each one individually as, what are the last two words in your Bible? As He wills. Did you know that God has designs for your fit in the body of Christ? And when I say the body of Christ, that's a metaphor taken directly from this chapter where Paul is saying, look, the church is like a body. A body is made up of different members. The pinky does a very different job than the voice box, right? The nose does a very different job than the big toe. All of those things are very different, but they're all necessary. And the Holy Spirit places us and gifts us individually, not by our design, but by His design. So when it comes to being put into different ministry positions, friends, it's not that we have to create our own fit in the body of Christ. No, the Holy Spirit has actually designed something for you and for me. Quirks and all. Amen. Right? God has a special design for you and me. So here, in the handout, let's fill this in. The Holy Spirit also gifts or empowers us to serve and work in Christ-like ministries. I'll read that again. The Holy Spirit also gifts or empowers us to serve and work in Christ-like ministries for the good and benefit of others. Here on the screen, maybe you remember this passage, for by grace you have been saved. Amen. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And often we quote this passage and we stop right here and say, thank the Lord for the grace of God. I can be saved. I can sit warm and cozy in my pew because I know I've been saved through faith. But we're missing verse 10. Verse 10 is like the crescendo of the whole act. Verse 10 says, look, you've been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But notice verse 10's emphasis. For, or with the end goal, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, when you've been saved by grace, you've been saved to serve. When you've been led by the Spirit to Jesus, now you can be filled by the Spirit to work for Jesus. This is the beauty of the work of the Holy Spirit. He does a work in us, and he also does a work through us. Powerful. We cannot neglect one for the other. We cannot, neglect the, we cannot overemphasize the invisible work of the Holy Spirit and neglect the visible work of the Holy Spirit. Nor should we do the opposite. Nor should we just focus on the, the character traits, and nor should we just focus on spiritual gifts. We have to allow the internal and invisible work of the Spirit to take place too. 
Are, are you following that balance? Yes or no? Okay. This is very, very important. And here, uh, let's see. Let's go to Revelation 22. I think we have this here. Revelation 22, verse 17. Notice that it takes this individual mission and, and amplifies it to the corporate mission of the church. Revelation 22:17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. The bride throughout the book of Revelation is a, is a picture or symbol of God's people throughout history. And notice it's the spirit and the bride, the spirit and the bride, uh, the church and God's spirit. They, they cooperate to say one simple message, and that message is come. Come to Jesus. And it says, and let him who hears say come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So when the Holy Spirit has been leading us to Jesus, he now leads us to invite others to Jesus. Did you catch that phrase? Let him who hears say come. When you've received the invitation, go ahead and give the invitation too. When you've received the work of the Holy Spirit, go ahead and be activated by the Holy Spirit. So there in the handout, it simply says, while the Holy Spirit gifts people individually, he also empowers God's people corporately to employ their God-given gifts in extending the invitation of Jesus to come to the water of life. Friends, there are thirsty souls who are dying all around us. And Jesus says, would you let my spirit work in your life and through your life to invite those, those individuals to the water of life? So, how, so if, this, if this is the work of the spirit that is so essential, if this is the work of the Spirit that Jesus told Nicodemus is, without the work of the Spirit in your life, you cannot see the kingdom of God. How then, how then should we avail ourselves of the work of the Holy Spirit? I mean, we were talking about it a little bit ago. It's uh, kind of an exaggeration. It would be preposterous for me to say, if I just kind of do this or this, if I just walk up these stairs on my knees 50 or 70 times, then I'll be guaranteed that I have the presence of the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about it? How do we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives Notice verse, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. We'll start with simply this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The implication is, obviously, the, the instruction is don't harden your hearts, but the positive side of that is say yes to Jesus, right? If you hear his voice, if you hear the Holy Spirit saying, look, I want to do a work both in you to lead you to Jesus and through you to lead others to Jesus, if you hear the Spirit saying that to you, then don't harden your hearts. Simply say yes. Give him the green light and say, God, have access to me. What else can we do? Is there anything else? I mean, it surely, for, for such a powerful gift, we've got to work hard for this, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we read this already. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Notice that. It was upon believing. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You want to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe it. Trust it. Don't just intellectually understand it. Believe it. Put your whole faith on it. I once heard someone say that believing and having faith is simply putting your whole weight on something. Leaning. Leaning on the everlasting arms of God. Believe the gospel. Trust that only Jesus can be Jesus. <laughs> only Jesus can be your Savior. And if you believe that, then the Holy Spirit promises to seal you. How about this one? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent! And we've talked about this in this series, right? Uh, repent is simply doing a U-turn, right? It's, changing, it's, it's making a conscious decision that the direction I'm heading is not the direction I want to continue to head. Repent, and what else does Peter say? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you just might receive the Holy Spirit. Is that what the Bible says? You shall. You will. It's a promise. Simple conditions. Say yes. Believe and trust the gospel. Change, uh, allow your, your mind to, to truly repent. God himself is the one who gives repentance, by the way. I think it's Romans chapter 2, verse 5. It gives repentance. 
Get, let God give you that, that decided uh, change of mind to say, yes, I want a different life. And then, Dorothy, thanks you so much for your example of just walking into the waters of baptism, allowing the death, burial, and resurrection to take place in your life. Repent and let every one of you be baptized. Friends, maybe we've lost sight of, of the significance of baptism. Baptism is, is not only washing away the past. Baptism is about experiencing a new present. Baptism is about receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, say yes to Jesus. Believe the gospel. Repent and be baptized. Surely there's got to be more, right? I mean, like, we've got, uh, what are the criteria? Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It's actually very simple. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's making a a comparison. He's not making a comparison between wages and the Holy Spirit. He's not making a a comparison between earnings and salary and the Holy Spirit, but between a gift and the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? So we don't earn gifts. We simply ask and receive them. And God is saying, hey, if you desire the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, simply ask. Simply ask. You can fill that part in in your handout. Because Jesus longs to give us the Holy Spirit, we are instructed to simply ask him. Ask him in sincere prayer. Friends, it doesn't say beg him. God wants to give us his spirit. The question is, do we want his spirit at work in our lives? And when we do ask him, we have this bold assurance. Notice what 1 John 5 says. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, That if we ask anything according to whose will? To God's will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That's a promise that you can take to the bank. If you see in scripture that surely this is the will of God, then when you pray for that in your own life, you have that petition. We just read that God is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him than a father is willing to give good gifts to his children. And so when we simply pray, God, I need your Holy Spirit. God, it's your will to give me the Holy Spirit. Friends, we don't have to second guess and say, boy, I wonder if I'm going to be eligible for this. We don't have to wonder and say, oh, I wonder if I'm going to be empowered for ministry. We don't have to wonder and ask, I wonder if I'm really part of the family of God. No, when we are, when we ask for the Holy Spirit, that is a petition that is according to the will of God. Can you say amen to that? That is a petition that God is more ready to grant you than you realize. I just wonder if we've taken it kind of cliche and said, "Ah, God knows I need the Spirit. Why do I need to specify that? Friends, do you realize that you need the Spirit? Maybe that's why we have been lazy in asking for the Spirit. But God desires us to be full of Him so that He can transform our lives and actually empower us for ministry. Is there another one here? I'm not sure there is. But here in your handout, we can just read that last paragraph. It says, whether we feel like it or not. Oh, I love that. Whether we feel like it or not, we can have the confidence that we receive the Holy Spirit when we ask, because it is God's will for us to receive him. Did you know that the promises of God, the reality of the promises of God, are not contingent upon whether or not we feel that those promises are fulfilled? Do you realize that? When God says, I will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask, We don't have to assess whether that promise has been fulfilled based on how I feel that day. I don't have to, woohoo! You know, I don't have to have an ecstatic feeling in order to realize that God's promise is true. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. I hope we realize, friends, that the promises of God are more real than your feelings or mine. That's what we call faith. That's what we call faith and acceptance. When God has given us a promise, we can cling to that. And whether we see the results or not, whether we feel it in our experience or not, we can know that it is true because God has said it. Just as God said, let there be light when there was nothing there before, 
God can say, let there be new life where there was nothing there before. Friends, I long for the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, no matter what, what uh, darkness may be in your life, the Holy Spirit is hovering above that darkness, just like a mother eagle wanting and the promise of new life in you. Friends, how many of us today long for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Amen. Well, then, will you please just bow your head with me as we pray and ask that God would fulfill his promise. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much that the work of the Holy Spirit is not something to be confused about, but scripture is so descriptive about it. Father, we long to see the reality of these things in our own life and experience. But even before we see the results, God, we are trusting ourselves to you. We're just going to take you up on the promise, the very, very simple promise to ask you today. Please, fill us with your Spirit. God, we sense that your Spirit longs to do a work in leading us more closely to Jesus. We sense that your Spirit wants to do a work through us in using us to lead others to Jesus too. And so God, please, look at this green light that we're turning on for you and enter into our lives in a way that maybe you haven't done before. Maybe there are some of us who have hardened our hearts, and I pray that you would soften us today, that we would say yes to you. Maybe there are some of us who are struggling with belief itself, with trusting in you, in leaning on you. And God, I pray that you would bolster our confidence and trust in you today. Maybe there are some of us who, who need the gift of repentance. Lord, please turn us around. If there are some of us who need to be baptized or rebaptized, I pray, God, that you would work out that death, burial, and resurrection in our lives day by day. Father, we long to know you. We long to bear fruit to your glory. We long to rise up with the Spirit and say, come, come to the waters of life. Thank you so much for the ministry of your Spirit today. And we thank you in advance, even before we've seen any tangible effects, God. We know that you have fulfilled your promise and you will continue to fulfill your promise as we ask. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. There's fellowship lunch immediately after this. And then this evening will be session number 12, taking a stand at the end. Thanks so much, friends. Have a blessed and full Sabbath.